Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I'm your host Scott Wiley and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast, Episode 9. Today we're going to be talking about Cop Shop starring Gerard Butler, Frank Grillo and directed by Joe Carnahan. Joining us today we have Wendy Freeman who if you're familiar with Action Podcasts, you've probably heard her. She's a big contributor to Action Twitter. It was an absolute joy to have her on the episode and I can't wait for you to hear our discussion because Wendy definitely enjoyed the film more than I did but I think as it went on maybe Wendy's uh, inner demons came out and she actually had some uh, some things she didn't like about the film that uh, I may or may not have inadvertently brought out. Now I will also just say ladies and gentlemen that uh, if my voice sounds a bit different that's just because I'm ill I've just got a cold nothing serious. So apologies for that. I'll do my best to fix it in the edit. Cop Shop was released in 2021. I watched it through Amazon Prime. So if you live in the UK, you can literally go and watch it on Amazon if you have Prime. And I'm 99% confident that it is now available in America on a streaming service as well. Uh, because I know that when we recorded this, it was not. And then I think when I started editing it, I was informed that it's now on a streaming platform. So, yeah, I, I, that, that could have been better timed, but we live and learn. The film synopsis is as follows. On the run from a lethal assassin, a wily con artist devises a scheme to hide out inside a small town police station. But when the hitman turns up at the precinct, an unsuspecting rookie cop finds herself caught in the crosshairs. The film did make some money at the box office. Uh, I can't seem to find what the actual budget for the film is. It's saying here that uh, it had a gross in the American box office of $5 million and it had a worldwide gross of $6 million. So I don't think anybody would call it a massive whirlwind success. But at the end of the day, it did make money. So you can't call it a failure. It didn't bomb horrifically. But at the same time, with these sorts of things, you never know how much money was put into marketing. So whether or not I actually made money, who knows? As this is a new film, I will just iterate here and you'll hear me say it again in the actual interview. Naturally, we're going to spoil this film. We will be talking about the ending. We will be talking about things that happen to do with the plot. And we will be discussing certain aspects of the film in a lot more detail than others. So if you're not fussed about that, that's cool. But if you don't want to be spoiled, this is uh, one of two warnings you're going to get. Now, like I said, in both America and the UK, I believe this film is on streaming services. So watching it shouldn't be too difficult if you so desire. But if you're not that fast, then feel free to just listen and uh, see what we think of the film. And I will also warn you, uh, towards the end, there's a big off-topic discussion about something entirely different because we kind of just were done with cop shop and we just ended up talking so we will we we do circle back to uh finish it off as we always do but yeah the actual discussion on cop shop really isn't that long 
It's an hour and 47 minutes, but it does not take us that long to say what we think of the film. So I'm going to hand you over to ourselves and uh, leave you to it. Hope you enjoy, and I'll see you for the outro. Thank you to myself for that amazing introduction. I'm sure I did a brilliant job. Today, this week, we're joined by somebody new. You don't have to listen to the same voice again for the first time, I think, maybe, depending when this episode comes out. Either way, why don't you introduce yourself to the people listening, my friend? Hey, friends. Uh, I'm Wendy Freeman. And uh, yeah, I just like talking about action films. I mean, that is the best introduction we've had so far. So I think... um, (laughs) Because I think you might be the first person that, oh, no, no, you're not, you know, I was going to say you think you're the first person who's not also a podcast host, but actually, um, by the time this episode goes out, Andy's will be out and Andy Gorham came on. So although he did used to host a podcast, so I suppose technically you could take that crown if you so desire it. <laughs> well, I hosted a podcast for seven years. I hosted a podcast uh, called Double Page Spread, where I interviewed comic book creators. Oh, so, so yeah. you did. Okay. That's fair. Well, in that case, I'm sorry. You just talked yourself out of the crown. <laughs> yeah, it was. It went on for seven years, and it was. It was a lot of work. You just constantly, uh, you know, finding artists and and writers and talking to them. But it was fascinating. I it was seven years of my life I did enjoy. Yeah. No, it sounds good. I mean, um, <laughs> when, whenever I go to um, well, I say whenever, obviously, because of the the current state of the world, it's been a while. But whenever I used to go to Comic Con in, in London. The uh, the indie comic book artist alley was one of my favorite places to go. And I just think, I don't know what it was like for you, but I could probably do a podcast every year and just go to London. And there's like 50 different people all trying to publish a comic book, all trying to show off their art. And it's like, yeah, you'd never run out of content. You, you wouldn't even need to get people on the internet. You could just do it all in one weekend and you'd be editing for the next three years. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I do. I go to San Diego Comic Con. I went to, you know, I went to conventions all over, you know, all over the country. And, uh, and you know, and I just, and, and like every morning I'd wake up and I'd read like the comic blogs and stuff. I'd see like who had stuff they wanted to promote, who had stuff they wanted to talk about. And I just hit people up. I just hit people up all the time. And I, I booked shows and I edited shows and I recorded shows. And it was just, a, it was a constant, uh, you know, it was a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for a long time. But so, so now you're happy to just have the uh, the podcast guest title, where all the work is done by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get to talk about a lot, a lot more different things now. So, yes, that is true. So I'm curious because obviously I don't know if everybody listening will know. I know obviously because I've heard you on the Adkins Undisputed. I've heard you on several different podcasts before. I was going to say the Action Junkies, and then I doubted myself, so I'm not going to go with that. But you've been on various different things I listen to. So for those who perhaps are not so familiar with you or perhaps only know you of your comic book work, I'm curious, when did you first start liking action films? Like what led you to the genre? Oh, my gosh. So originally I started watching action films, you know, as most of us do, uh, like, you know, I had a grandfather who loved James Bond and I had my brother who loved JCVD. And, uh, you know, it was just that sweet spot. It was that wonderful era where it just felt like there was always a new Steven Seagal movie. There was always a new, uh, you know, American Ninja movie. There was always some sort of new canon film coming out. And you just go to the video store. It's just like uh, so many walls of all of these incredible action films that you could just 
pick a random and, and there was something exciting, you know? <laughs> so I just grew up. I just wanted to watch people kicking things. <laughs> That's a pretty good uh, explanation. Um, I, I, I was quite funny because when you said Seagal films, I was thinking, oh, you might be closer to uh, my age than some of the previous guests. And then as soon as you said uh, American Ninja, I was like, damn it. No. <laughs> Does that make me older or younger? Oh, no. I don't think there's a single person I've had on that's younger than me. Um, and it's, it's great because this is um, this is genuinely the only time where I feel young. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, a lot of these movies I was renting were probably also a little older. So, you know, who yes, knows? No, I mean, yeah. to be honest, I've, I've had that a few times where um, because obviously you, um, I'm in the UK. Oh, in fact... Let's 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 also sorry to do this to you, Wendy. I've had quite a few people message me. So if you're listening, because I know you are, I am from the UK. I don't know why so many people are confused by this, but I am from the United Kingdom. Specifically, I'm from Cornwall, and I suspect the Cornish accent is mixing with the British accent, which is what's confusing everyone. But I am from the UK, so we can stop having this debate, guys. That's where I'm from. <laughs> to my point, though. <laughs> Do people doubt this? <laughs> no, I had a weird message, and then I discovered that there were other people that were confused as to exactly where I was from because I started talking to an Australian who may or may not be a future guest and she was like where exactly are you from and I was like oh okay so clearly several people have asked me this now <laughs> but yeah my point was is that being in the UK and talking to people from other countries all the release dates of films are different so mm -hmm. when someone says to me, oh, you know, I grew up watching this film and I think oh, that's odd. So did I. But we weren't born in the same decade. I mean, it was only a few years apart. But then you go and look at the release dates and it's like, oh, well, actually, we both did because it didn't release in the UK when it did for you. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that just makes talking about this so much more difficult. It's the same with Asian <laughs> stuff. I had access to all the, the Hong Kong stuff. You guys didn't. But then you guys get all the Blu-rays of stuff that just doesn't release over here. So Oh, it's an absolute nightmare. Right, right. That's a, yeah, that's still a mystery, right? <laughs> anyway, what we're going to be talking about today is not an old film, and it's not one that either of us grew up with, because it's a new film-ish. It's It was a new film when I had the idea to watch it, but it, it's 2022 now, and it came out in 2021. But that film is Cup Shop. So I'm going to make this very clear. This film is fairly new, and we're going to talk about it. And if you've listened to the show before... I'm going to talk about it in great detail, so there will be spoilers ahead. This is your only warning. If you're still listening, we're going to start talking about the film. So, what did you think about the film, Wendy? Oh, gosh, I loved it. <laughs> oh, really? I feel like, I, yeah, I feel like discussing this film, we have to discuss sort of the Gerard but the Butler Renaissance, you know, or uh, <laughs> Greasy, Greasy Jerry, as, uh, you know, we've taken to calling him, right? So, well, uh, some I mean, people call him Greasy that, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I am not uh, such a fan of Den of Thieves, and I realize that you know, I, I, I might be a, that might be an unpopular opinion amongst our our people, but but uh, but I am a big fan of this, and I do like any time we're seeing Gerard Butler sort of move past the, uh, uh, you know, his pretty boy phase. Oh yeah, no, that bit I I I, 
I quite liked Gerard Butler in this. I was annoyed when I thought his time in the film had come to an end earlier than expected. <laughs> because I, I won't lie, like, I didn't gel with this film as much as I thought I would. But I think, again, you won't know this, but listeners will, because it will already be out by then. But this, this to me is another Hydra situation where the marketing and the advertising made the film appear one way and i think the film that you actually get is not quite how it was advertised if you've seen the trailer you've pretty much seen all of the gunfights that are in this film <laughs> and that is not necessarily a bad thing but it is kind of infuriating when i was like right so this is uh got some big action set pieces in it and it's like yeah there's only really one that i didn't know was already coming so that was <laughs> kind really of disappointing the commercials so i think i really remember the trailers so i think i was uh i was i was fresh well the, the, the thing is when did cop shop come out for you i i came out when i was not going to the theater and so at some point during the pandemic right well, yeah, but see, in the UK, it came out on Amazon Prime mm -hmm. earlier this year, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's been out for very long here. So mm -hmm. for us, it was like, well, I remember the trailers because uh, that was all I had. <laughs> Everybody else is like, oh, man, cop shop. Well, I'll let you know when it finally gets a release date over here. I think that um, the actors did a really good job with their performances, but in terms of the overall film it wasn't quite what i was expecting but it was still good in its own right i just i don't know the only thing i am i am definitely 100 percent gonna say right off the bat is i really didn't like the ending yeah yeah i will say that i feel like it was presented as much more like an assault on precinct 13 type siege film and it was yes. much more, and I feel it was much more like a classic Western kind of thing, like Rio Bravo. I feel like it was trying to capture that sort of, uh, you know, Al Alamo uh, siege kind of thing. You know, like, especially from the beginning, from the get-go, the start of the movie, you've got her buying, uh, you know, she has that that Ruger, she has that Blackhawk or whatever, you know, she has that six-shooter gun. And that's like the defining point of the movie, which I didn't understand, <laughs> But that's the thing they keep going back to. They keep going back to is like the sentimentality of the fact that she's this like brand new rookie carrying this like pointless gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I must admit the uh, the Western influence was not lost on me, especially like you say when it was dealing with the rookies or the deputies. I mean, she had what the Black Hawk, and her friend had the Red Hawk, and right. it was kind of like yeah, it. it, it 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 really did feel like if they said it in another time period, the story doesn't really have to change at all. Frank Grillo as well took some adjusting because he had really long, luscious hair and he was wearing like a suit and it was like, what the heck has happened to you? He had such a <laughs> terrible wig. That was a terrible wig. I know, right? <laughs> like, I love the Grillo and I will defend him until the end of days and he is one of my top movie boyfriends, but oh, that was not a good look. <laughs> Yeah, no, I really didn't didn't gel with his look. I mean, I liked the um the tailored suit. I thought I thought that he kind of pulled that off, despite the fact obviously he was covered in blood and dirt and grime. Mm -hmm. But then, like you say, it was just uh, it was one of those films where you knew going in that you were going to have to try and piece together what was happening because you you weren't starting at the beginning. So it was like, okay, how how are we gonna 
how are we going to get to a point where I know what's going on? How long am I going to have to wait or can I figure this out? That's, that's what my brain tends to do. It's like, can I get there before the film tells me? And in some films, that's pretty easy. And in other films, it's an absolute nightmare. I um, was having this conversation with someone quite recently. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a show on Netflix called Stay Close. And mm-hmm. um, basically, I knew going in that it was going to be like The Stranger where, you know, it was going to be a mystery and no one knew what was going on and everybody was talking about it. And I remember saying to my partner when we started watching it, I can't solve this mystery. And she went, why? And I said, because the show is deliberately not showing me the things I need to see in order to solve the mystery. So that well, it, it's whole, got an... No, 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 no. But, but what I mean is yeah, it's using, it's using the unreliable witness. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cop Shop doesn't do that, which I was very happy about. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's like the whole the whole key to Giallo's. You know why those movies are so inscrutable is because like they present at the end that there was no way in hell you were ever going to figure out that this person was the killer. It's just some some random circumstance. Yeah, yeah, but, it was someone that didn't even have you know any other screen time. Damn it! Right. I'd never have naked that out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, going back to my point about the guns. I mean, I am not I am not a cop and I'm not an expert on, on guns in any manner. But wouldn't are you allowed to just carry your 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 personal weapon like that? Like, don't you have an issued issued weapon? Like, why are they both allowed to just like, oh, here's my novelty toy? You know, I didn't I didn't quite get that. <laughs> to be honest, there's a couple of scenes where I had thoughts like that because um, a like you say, she's got that giant revolver and I'm pretty certain Again, different countries, different rules. But A, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they are set in like small town America where the rules are, shall we say, less set in stone. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of bought into the whole, all right, they've got these big revolvers and other ones have got standard issue regular uh, guns and that's how, you know. I'm sorry, at the beginning, they're in Las Vegas because that's where Grillo is. Grillo's outside of like a, a, a casino. Mm. So they're in Nevada. So I mean, even though like they they spell out that this is like a sleepy little uh, uh, you know station, like clearly they're in you know, like, they're in a place. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'll be honest, I totally missed that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the the sequence that happens directly after that was was much more difficult to hand wave away because obviously she gets punched in the face by Frank Grillo and uh, then proceeds to taser him when his back is turned to her whilst being filmed by the crowd (laughs) and then proceeds to continue to tase him because it's funny and he deserved it. And my brain was going, wow, you're brave to film this in this day and age because that (laughs) video would be all over social media before you even got the handcuffs on him and you would be suspended. Because even somebody makes the world star hip hop joke, you know, like like while she's tasing him, you know. So, yep. Yeah. And yeah, there were there were a couple of little moments like that where I thought, like you say, I mean, the fact that it it, it was definitely in Nevada, I have no idea where it was supposed to be geographically, but um, it really did give off that that old fashioned like sheriff deputies and violence pretty much solves anything. And uh, we have the badges, therefore anything uh, goes and just stay out of our way. And I mean, even they tried to establish like, uh, you know, the main the main sheriff was uh, was that Cuddy from The Wire. 
like like Cuddy, like he was again, he was like the noble, honorable uh, uh, sheriff who, of course, gets killed by the dirty cop, you know. <laughs> but but yeah, they tried to establish that. They tried to give you like you know your your no nonsense officer in charge and and uh, yeah, yeah. They, it, it's quite funny because he managed to be two different tropes at once. Because like you say, he was the old-fashioned sheriff the honorable one but he was also the 1980s black police captain that constantly yells at everybody and no one listens to him right because he spent i swear he spent half his screen time just going get in my office where is he and it's like ah yes i'm glad we're going back to simpler times i remember lots of films like this oh i need his uh dirty harry to walk in and complain that you know it'd be right home but also i mean how it must, in a, it, once again, we're trying to establish that this is like kind of like a sleepy little precinct. Like how how much drugs were being run through this place and how is he not figuring it out that this guy was dirty? Yeah, I mean, they do kind of like mention that with like a throwaway line where they're like, oh, I can't remember what it is she says, but she says something to the effect of, oh, you know, this guy's dangerous and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, I haven't really got time to worry about that. Have you seen how many drugs we've, you know, got down in evidence lockup, but it's like, but that's all they do. Like this, there's no more addressing it. It's just this, like, yeah, you you'd think if you had that much drugs that you'd have called someone higher up, wouldn't you? <laughs> but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's standard procedure for Las Vegas. Who knows? I certainly don't. <laughs> we don't know about our sleepy Nevada police precincts. Yes. Yes, because they, they even call in like state troopers, don't because oh, well, they don't call them in, but there's two state troopers that come in and it's mm-hmm. like they're even worse than the, the local police. They seem right. to be they, they seem to have and I don't mean this in a negative way, but they seem to have less intelligence than the local police do when they almost get run over by Gerard Butler. And then they come in and they're like, what's diabetes? But oh, my God, could you just be any more stereotypical if you tried? <laughs> Okay, so now the introduction of, uh, so obviously you got all this tension between, uh, uh, you know, Jerry and Grillo there down the lockup, and uh, you've got, you know, Grillo, I was surprised that when they killed his family, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, we don't find that out until much later, but yeah, that that was a surprising moment. Yeah, yeah. So then they introduce uh, the, the third killer, the crazy killer. Who's the guy from uh, Halt and Catch Fire? He was like the jovial Texan uh, guy on on Halt and Catch Fire, and so his name in the movie is something Lamb Lamb Anthony Lamb Anthony Lamb Yeah, yeah, because because uh, Gerard Butler's character makes a point of trying to you know he he wants to call him sorry he calls him Anthony but he wants to be known as Tony. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was? point of trying to introduce a third person who's allegedly crazier than the first two criminals you're dealing with well i mean the film's excuse is that they want to show the difference between a professional and a psychopath but in all honesty i think it was basically just so that they could have somebody to act as the quote-unquote villain so that gerard butler could remain sort of like the mysterious stranger and yes he's there to kill another bad guy but he's not actually a bad guy you know, mm-hmm. he's like the bounty hunter versus the uh, the nut job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's funny because now that you've said it, I can't get all these Western tropes out of my head. It's like the good, the bad and the ugly. You've got the crazy one, the actual villainous one, and then you've got the idiot. And mm-hmm. you've got all three of them, basically, you know. Is Grillo the idiot? 
He is until the very end when it's kind of revealed that actually maybe uh, you haven't got them the right way around. <laughs> well, he's definitely, you know, the scorpion, you know, like she couldn't trust him anyway. It, it, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think the best way to describe Grillo's character is opportunistic. And for those people, well, I say for those people who haven't seen the film, you should have seen the film if you're listening to this. But basically, majority of the first half of this film takes place with barely any actors um it's mostly just grillo gerard in the prison cells and then the rookie cop comes in but other than that it's mostly just left up to them to chew the scenery and we get some flashbacks because i really like i really enjoyed the flashback where we get to see uh grillo almost get blown up in a car but not and he's got that bright blue suit on and he's the swagging casino. along the, the street yes <laughs> the beginning the beginning of casino yeah mm. <laughs> I, I did enjoy that sequence, and then he's like running away because he, he flip flops between somebody that looks like he could handle himself and someone that's just terrified all of the time. Like he and he, he's always got that edge to him, but you're always like, ah, oh, no, it's 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 an act, and it's like I, I do like the way that he keeps you guessing for the most part all the way through the film. Of is he actually somebody that is going to kill someone? Is he actually trustworthy? Is he not? You know, well, he's I mean, easily exactly like. I mean, nothing says Weasley more than a greasy man bun. So, I mean, mm. they captured that. Yes. <laughs> uh, I must admit, though, um, of all the characters, my favorite was Anthony Lamb. His introduction, I mean, I I thought Gerard Butler's, uh, I keep calling him Gerard Butler because I cannot remember his character's name. That's how, that's how much of an impression he made on me. Um, <laughs> Vidic. Vidic, that's it. I liked his introduction, the way he obviously pretended to be drunk, um, but then he obviously wasn't, and he sobered up in inverted commas, and he he gave his threats, and that was kind of a cool sequence, and he almost killed Grillo, and all of that was fine. It was dandy. It was kind of like paint by numbers, but then once they introduced Anthony, I think, I wish he'd been in it more. Um, his, his walking in with the balloons while a guy is literally looking at the mugshot of him looking up at the guy, and instead of going, oh, shit, that's the guy I'm looking at, I should probably raise an alarm, he's like, oh, hey, you look like the guy on my screen. Here, why don't you come around next to me and look at it? And I was like, oh, my God, this is the police force at its finest here, isn't it? Sam <laughs> <laughs> even points out, he's like, he's like, the first rule of policing is, is you know, don't, you know, don't, don't trust the unexpected, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. I forgot yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love the fact that he starts yelling at the police he kills as like, oh my God, you guys are thick. Why? <laughs> I should not have been able to kill this many of you. <laughs> and then he, and then he kills the paramedics that run in to try and help the other guy I that know. got messed up earlier. And then he, he's just like, oh yeah, he fell. And they're like, oh, are you sure he fell? Well, yes, sir, he did fall. But uh, uh, to clarify, he fell after I shot him in the head. What? And then he shoots them. <laughs> they performed a successful tracheotomy. This this uh, newbie girl who who knows nothing, you know, performs like a successful tracheotomy on a guy only for him to get killed. <laughs> yeah, because because uh, again, they, they, they try and do a lot with throwaway lines. And then she just randomly chucks out. Oh, yeah. When I was training to be a combat medic and I'm like, hang on, what? That sounded important. Go back to that. And then she just never mentions it again. <laughs> and then she also, but then she couldn't really help herself when she had her self-inflicted gunshot wound due to her idiotic gun. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, because she because she needed the all important trauma kit, <laughs> which uh, yeah. But no, like I said, Anthony's sequences in the film were probably my favorite. That then takes, you know, the, he then proceeds to go through the station and almost kill everybody, except, as we already said, there is a dirty cop in the precinct and he proceeds to kill the sergeant who's in charge. But we then get the sequence that you were just talking about where him and the rookie face off and he unloads this ridiculous automatic machine gun that is just, oh, it's so insane. And he, I don't know how many bullets he goes through. I think he even counts them at some point. But I thought the, if there's a standout action sequence of the film, it was him chasing her down in yes. the corridor. Yeah, my favorite sequence was her changing the 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 passcode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my favorite sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that is easily the money shot of the film. Is her covered in sweat, panicking but holding it together to change the passcode of the door whilst the door behind her is falling apart because it's, you know, being riddled with the bullets and yet she still manages to do it while that ancient technology is like very, very slowly (laughs) resetting a password. And I think everybody that's ever used a computer was all going, oh, for God's sake, this is how you die. You don't die because you were bad. You die because the computer is stuck on the loading screen. (laughs) But also she was doing it because she had the... uh... She just had a, a hunch that the other cop was dirty, you know, like that. So it's yeah. like it was, it was they they gave her, uh, you know, she she was the only quasi smart policeman in that whole precinct. <laughs> but also, I think um, I don't know if it was because she necessarily thought that they would willingly betray her. But I think it, the thought probably occurred to her that one of them could be forced to open the door. But obviously, if she's changed the code, then no one can force their way in in theory mm-hmm. but um you know the door is only as good as the wall it is attached to <laughs> which uh it, it reminds me of uh the scene in uh red where bruce willis you know they go up to that big thick impenetrable door and the other the other guys are like wow that door looks impossible to get through and he's like it is it's state of the art it's six inches thick it's uh it's steel on steel, co- you know, with concrete. And they're like, wow, how are you going to get it open? And he just punches through the wall that it's attached to. And he's like, yeah, well, the wall's like made of nothing and just leans in and opens it from the other side. <laughs> and they, they don't do that in this film, but they do basically do this, the same principle. It just takes a bit longer. A giant sledgehammer and a very, very, very tired fat guy. And a very steamy locker room. Yes. Yeah, I thought that. I don't know why they did that. That looked very weird. Anyway, we are jumping around this film a lot, guys, but that's because, in all honesty, there's a lot of talking in this film, and a lot of it, when you're actually, like, talking about the film itself, is kind of irrelevant. If uh, Unless there's anything that you want to jump in, feel free to. No, I just, I enjoyed the banter and the chemistry between Grillo and, and Butler, you know? Like, I feel like that's what, that's what you're watching this movie for. So, uh, you know, right? Oh yeah, no, their chemistry was great. I just, um, I just found, I don't know. There's something about the way that they were interacting pre the fight scene that didn't quite work for me. However, once she makes it back into the room and changes the lock, I think the banter that they have at that point is really nice because now you've got that third element that's not necessarily threatening all of them. Cause as we established later on, Gerard was never really in any danger, but, um, 
the fact that there's now a unifying opposition kind of allows them to have more of a sarcastic banter. And that, uh, that is my favorite type of banter. And I just love the, uh, you'll know the difference between a professional and a psychopath when you see it. And he's like, there you go. That's a psychopath. <laughs> what about you? Which of the three killers that we had did you find the most entertaining? Well, I mean, you know, I, I liked uh, Gerard because he was he was just the only real professional. Like, like once again, we established that Grillo is just kind of like a, a just a half-assed opportunist. Like, he was much more of a con man than a killer. And so what was it? So, so we were sympathized with Grillo because he accidentally got an assistant DA killed. Like that yeah. was like that was his his redemption. <laughs> yeah, I I honestly didn't really understand that because he kept saying like, oh, you know, I was forced into this situation and you don't get it. And then they never really kind of went back to that. I mean, afterwards, I just kind of come to the conclusion that that's because he was lying. Um, because both of the other killers were like, yeah. Uh, or it could be the fact that you stole a shit ton of money from the people that you used to work for. That could be the reason why we're here. And he just, like, kind of ignores it. Like, nah, that's not what happened. And it's like, yeah, I've seen the whole film, Frank. I kind of think that's what happened. Because <laughs> <laughs> he kind of, like you say, he spends the whole film trying to convince you that he's he's the one you should have sympathy for. And there is a genuine moment where I do have sympathy for him. And that's like you say, when he discovers that the family that is really the only thing he's got any concern for. And he spent the first quarter of the film trying to contact. And then he discovers that the reason he couldn't get hold of them is because they were dead before he even made it to the police station. That's kind of a gut wrenching moment for him. For us, I don't think so much, but I did like his reaction to that. It was the only real time he felt like a genuine person because, you know, he wasn't trying to spin it. Mm -hmm. So are we jumping to the, the finale, the big, uh, the, the big boom boom at the end? We can do it in a minute, but there there is one part to talk about before then. And that is that I was surprised Stroke liked the fact that Grillo went after Anthony. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you, you know, he had that sequence in the dark where they were both chasing each other in the locker room. The showers were running. Uh, A, Anthony was like channeling his inner uh, serial killer from horror films with his constant commentary echoing around the room. But also it's the one and only time that Frank Grillo's character actually looks as intimidating as he's kind of hinted that he can be. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe he has got it in him to be a bit more dangerous than, he, you know, everyone's given him credit for. But the reason I really like that sequences because after they have a pretty decent game of cat and mouse Venick or Venick whatever his name was shows up and he basically kills Anthony and we knew that was going to happen I think I don't think that surprised anybody um mm -hmm. they have a, a well I say they have a fight but I don't think Anthony got a single blow in so it's more like he just gets completely wrecked by Venick and then they're like, oh, we're going to parlay, so we're going to team up now that we've, you know, I'm going to let you kill Anthony. And then the, the, the bit that did genuinely surprise me, because in my head, I went, you know, your problems could be over right now if you just shot Fennec. And, and, and then he did. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the film character did the smart thing that you'd actually do in real life. I didn't expect that. <laughs> 
like cut him off mid-sentence and just unloaded a clip into him and then, you know, killed the other guy. And I was like, ah, so both of the killers that were hired to kill him are now gone. The film's not over yet. I don't think, I don't think that's it. <laughs> but I mean, I, I can't hit on this film because it did have surprising moments like that, you know? And, and also you did expect uh, Vidic to last till the end, you know, like, or something. So, so yeah, the fact that he got taken out like that was, was surprising. Well, yeah. And the fact that, you know, uh, not to, to bring the, the meta thoughts into when you're watching a film, but he's being played by Gerard Butler and he's on the front cover. I was not expecting him to uh, be the first of the three people in this sequence to die or to be taken out. So I was kind of like, oh, so he spent most of the film sitting down in a jail cell and then pretty much was out. So I was like, that must have been a real easy couple of days of filming for him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he didn't get any big. uh, Yeah, he didn't get any big shootout sequence or anything. So no, I wonder if he if this was like his. if this is like his take it easy film between making the next has fallen film, because <laughs> you know, whenever he does one of those films, he just goes absolutely insane. So this is like, now guys, I'll be in the film, but I have basically got to sit in the back and do very little because uh, everything's broken and nothing works. <laughs> you know, I've never seen any of those has fallen films in their entirety. I just catch them in bits and pieces on television. <laughs> so I really liked Olympia. Here, here it comes, folks. The tangent off topic you've been waiting for. <laughs> um, no, uh, I really liked Olympus Has Fallen. Um, admittedly, I haven't watched it since it originally came out, but I remember being really surprised by it. I know a lot of people weren't as keen on London Has Fallen. I, however, really like it. And I'm saying that as, you know, someone that lives near London. There's a couple of bits that, as, you know, it's uh, Americans make British film doesn't ever work for me. But, you know, other than that, it was absolutely fine. There were some really clever bits uh, in it. The same with Olympus has fallen and I haven't seen Angel has fallen, so I can't tell you, but I would say you'd probably like them. Like I would say, give them a watch. Yeah. Do it. (laughs) One day, if I see one on from the beginning, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it from the beginning. Yeah, well, I'd say you could borrow my my Blu-rays, but it's uh, it's not quite the the easy trip for you. <laughs> <laughs> it must be streaming somewhere. I just feel like they're always on television somehow because <laughs> I've seen like the same the same half hour from from most of them. Oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, um, after that, Grillo basically starts to try to clear up the evidence of what's happened by setting everything on fire. And then he goes upstairs and realizes that the rookie that he thought was still downstairs bleeding out wasn't because uh, turns out Venick was nice and got her upstairs to the trauma kit that she needed and stopped her from bleeding out and somehow also found a bulletproof vest that was somewhere. And uh, yeah, she's also pulled the gun from her friend, the Red Hawk. So now she has a gun again. And it's like, ah, okay, now I know what the last sequence is going to (laughs) be. Well, I mean, I liked the dynamicism. You know, I'm going to give props to Joe Carnahan on on that entire final sequence. I thought, you know, the the explosions and the, uh, you know, the the gunplay and the, I thought it gave you a good sense of uh, depth and spatial relation 
you know, of like uh, the the levels of the the station. I, you know, and she at one point another another really dumb tangent from the beginning. I thought it was when it opens with that guy, but you know, the the one officer buying like a really shitty gun from like a taco truck, like <laughs> for his. Oh daughter. yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, for his daughter's birthday, he buys her like a really shitty gun from a taco truck. I'm like, as a cop, shouldn't you have uh, <laughs> better options? <laughs> Don't you care about your daughter's well being? This seems really strange. Uh, you know, so she manages to get up to the the office and and get that gun at least because her Red Hawk is just a completely pointless weapon in this whole. I mean, to be honest, her Black Hawk wasn't exactly much used earlier in the film, so... All she did with those those fucking guns was was just get herself shot, you know, in a ricochet. Wait, so here's the other question. Okay, so she and the other dude had some sort of bonding moment talking about him playing some sort of, like, squirrel hunting game as a child or something. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Was there ever any... Did that have a point? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Did it, um, it was I, I don't think I don't think it had a point other than so that she could have that cool moment at the end where she did the thing that he was talking about and she oh, did it first right. go. Oh right, because in that scenario, Frank Grillo was the squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> right, but yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree with you. I I like the use of space. I like the fact that they completely destroyed the scenery. Whilst they were having a fight, I do unfortunately have to say that the CGI fire could have been better. <laughs> <laughs> the um, there's a couple of wide shots where Frank or the rookie are stood in front of the flames, and it's like you could tell, re- regardless of how good the CGI looks, because in places it really doesn't look good either. But the fact that they're just completely like unfazed by the heat. The fact that the flame is like literally right behind them and they just couldn't care less. Like, yeah, that wasn't there when they filmed that. <laughs> but the actual the actual shootout I enjoyed. Again, like you say, the best part of it was the fact that she got the gun that they set up way at the start of the film that you thought was just, you know, random piece of information. But no, it was it turned out to be important because Thankfully, he also bought ammo and, you know, she was able to load the gun and start shooting it. Um, but like you say, they, oh, actually, I lie. There's two points to that squirrel thing because obviously when they, they did that story, they then had their, um, their quick draw off. And of course, he then drops the bullets out of his gun and doesn't pick them all up, which then allows her to pick up that last bullet with which to then do the uh, spinning reload thing and shoot Frank Grillo as he's trying to run away. Because if that hadn't happened, even even though she had the gun, she wouldn't have had any ammo because, you know, he was such a such an idiot that he didn't find his last uh, bullet. He just left it on the ground. Yeah, once again, you had to have that, that classic, iconic uh, Sheriff Saves the Day moment, uh, you know, that, that, the, the Western moment of that, so. Yeah, to be honest... Um, if uh, if Arnold Schwarzenegger rocked up in his sheriff uniform from The Last Stand, it really wouldn't have been that out of place. Um, <laughs> they wouldn't even prove it. The Last Stand is good. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that too. <laughs> yeah, there there isn't much denying which film I would re- happily more rewatch. But ah, uh, uh, there you go. We'll, we'll watch The Last Stand next. That'll do. But. Um, <laughs> 
did like this movie. I enjoyed this movie. You know, it's a, it's a simple, goofy, uh, you know, action film. Like, you could do a lot worse. You could do a lot worse. So. Oh, yeah, you could 100% do a lot worse. Yeah, so I can't entirely shit on this movie. A good cast, you know? I like Joe Carnahan. I like, you know, so, yeah, we're nitpicking. We're nitpicking it to death, but... <laughs> But it's- I'm nitpicking it to death, I think. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, it's not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. I think that you just, if you know what you're going in for, you'll enjoy it a lot more than if you go in expecting an all-out, guns-blazing, you know, marathon of explosions and bullets and death-defying stunts. It's one of those self-contained films that, like you say, Assault on Precinct 13, it is not. It is much more akin to a Western. It is much more slower paced. There's a lot more just talking between characters. And as as, as weird as this sentence is about to sound, with, with the context of everything we just said, arguing about philosophies of life, because you've got the guy that doesn't give a shit in Gerard Butler You've got the guy that doesn't have any life moralities, you know, he hasn't got any ethics, he hasn't got any philosophies in Anthony Lamb. You've got the con man for life in Frank Grillo, and then you've got the law in the form of the rookie, because she literally has that argument with uh, Venick when she won't let him out at first, because she's like, you know, oh, I don't care if I die, I I represent the law and I won't stand for you because you're just a killer doesn't matter what your reasons are and yeah that's just an old-fashioned argument of what is right and wrong well once again that's exactly just your 310 to yuma you know like i know i could easily kill this guy and get the bounty and do whatever but no i'm gonna make sure he gets on that train so justice is served you know like it's that's exactly Exactly. it's yeah yeah they really uh drilled that home with you but yeah it is that sort of that argument of nihilism versus uh professionalism versus chaotic good and neutral or whatever you know yeah 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 no i mean it, the only thing that did annoy me is they set these characters up to be these beacons of the archetypes that they wanted them to be but venick already knew that his family was dead and his whole thing was if you let me just kill you your family will be safe and it's like no nah, man they're already dead and you kind of know that so your whole Oh, I, I don't care, and I don't lie, and I don't this. It's like, no, no, no. You you were doing that happily earlier in the film. <laughs> that was the only bit that kind of made me go, yeah, you're not quite the beacon of purity and professionalism, you know? <laughs> and then, yeah. So, speaking of nitpicking, the ending of this film, and I'm, I'm quite happily to state this, is shite. Um, <laughs> I... Like, there's there's a difference between, like you say, nitpicking, and then there's just, what? So the ending of this film is, it ends how you think it would, with, with uh, oh, sorry, no, it doesn't end how you think it would. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me rewind a bit. Right at the very end of the gunfight, Grillo gets saved at the last second by a character that we've not even mentioned because she's completely of no consequence until this moment. The, what was she supposed to be? Like, the assistant district attorney? Um, I'm not entirely sure, but she just randomly shows up. Wasn't she another dirty cop? Wait, there was the other lady dirty cop. Because you remember the, the was rookie Was she a cop? Up. Yeah, because the rookie cop, she wanted them to check out uh, Grillo's story about the hotel. The people who'd been killed at that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The desert. And so... But she she was also the one that was on uh, TV giving all the press conferences, wasn't she? Oh, I... I... <sighs> 
all right now now i don't recall whether or not she was a bigger cop or if she was uh, uh I, I mean i think she was like a big cop in inverted commas i just don't know in what capacity because mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure she was like she had like a lot of people under her that were doing what she was saying but also how many of them were also dirty it seems to be the question mm-hmm. but then she just shows up on her own without any help and uh just as she's about to kill the rookie surprise Fennec's not dead and he walks out and kills her for reasons that are not really clear because he had no real reason to save her but uh <laughs> it, it's 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 in that moment where you're like oh i see he he's he's now the honorable character like you know, he was there to kill him, and she, you know, he didn't want all of this needless bloodshed. Which, in fairness, he does say that killing all these people was completely pointless, and he doesn't see the need for it. However, he then walks off into the sunset, and she goes off into an ambulance because she's been shot by herself, and now by someone else. <laughs> Can barely stand. And then she just decides to hijack the ambulance somehow. And go after Venek, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take him down, even though I'm literally hooked up to a drip and can't raise my arm above my head." And I'm just like, "Why did the two male paramedics twice her size be like, no, you fucking idiot, you have to stay lying down, or you're just gonna pass out?" You know? Yeah, there's only one rule: it's a like gut wounds. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. Yeah. I think they literally just set it up so that we could have that end shot of them both singing the same song as they just drive off for some reason after What's each other. Even? Oh, I don't even remember. That's, that's that's how bad it was. I mean, no, the song was good. I don't know the name of it. It's a fairly famous song, which doesn't really narrow it down, but <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's not important. The point is, is that that's how it ends with her just seeming to recover through the power of magic and friendship. And then just, yeah, tr- chase him in this very slow ambulance. <laughs> You'd think if they wanted to have that ending, they could have been like a couple months later. She's no longer a rookie. She's maybe got, you know, a couple commendations under her belt, considering she's the only member of this police station that survived. And now she's like going to go after him as like, you know, a hunter to continue the Western theme. And he's off, you know, somewhere completely moved on. And that would have been a better ending. It would have felt like they were setting up a sequel, but at least it would have made some logical sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, now that we're now that we're breaking down like that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so I'm trying to look up. I'm looking up. I'm out of curiosity because like how many films Grillo and Carnahan have done a few films together, right? So now I'm reading something that apparently... He says that that Carnahan's edit of the film was passed over and retooled. Oh, that's right. They, oh. they did Boss Level, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, Boss Level is not one I have seen yet, but I intend to. Yeah, Frank Grillo slams Cop Shop for editing his performance. Oh, yeah, I do remember hearing something about that, but obviously I ignored it because I hadn't seen it yet. But yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that actually makes sense. That 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 would make more sense that it that, that some of the editing was not great in this film. Yeah, yeah. Wait, did Carnahan do one of the Purge films? No. I don't know. It's a simple uh, answer. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, but they did they did boss level together. I feel like they must have done something else together. But anyway, what were we saying? So so uh, we were discussing uh, uh, yesterday 
an interview that Grillo did, a snippet that went uh, wide on the on the the Twitters. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In which Grillo speaks the truth. He is a man who speaks the truth <laughs> <laughs> about about what really happens with your low budget on a low budget film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no, no, no! Let's be honest. It doesn't just happen on low budget films. Right, yeah. I'm sure this happens on high budget films too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just about a, a whichever awful Bruce Willis movie he was he was working on, and how he felt kind of embarrassed that he did this terrible movie just to get like a nice garden. I say, Grillo, get your garden. <laughs> Feel no shame. Go get your garden. But yeah, he was talking about how like um about how like the the actual money that went into the production versus like the million dollars or whatever that it took to make about how how little actually filters down to the actual production of the movie and and clearly somebody else is pocketing like so much of this movie on all these films you know and it was just uh it was just kind of refreshing to hear somebody somebody saying that <laughs> yeah um so the the film in question is called reprisal and it had, like you say, uh, a five point something million dollar budget, and it made at the box office a whopping one hundred and three thousand nine hundred and four dollars. So it's safe to say it lost money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that interview was great because I love it when actors are just honest because it always takes the people interviewing them by surprise. In this case, it didn't because the person interviewing him was also an actor because uh, it was on a podcast. You know, those things that people listen to. Well, one of, my favorite, one of my favorite actors to ever hear interviewed is always Michael Madsen. Whenever Michael Madsen is like on a podcast or anything, like he'll just straight up tell you like, yeah, I did this shitty crocodile movie because I got to take my family to Thailand. That sounds nice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like he's always very forthcoming about what movies are dogs and, you know. I, I think uh, my favorite example of that, of which, yeah, Frank Grillo is definitely in that category now is uh, Michael Caine uh, being asked why he did Jaws 3. And it's like, oh yeah, Jaws 3, that was a terrible film. And every time I think badly of that, I think of the house that I own and how big it is, how many bedrooms it has, how nice it looks, and how that film, on its own, paid for the entire thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that's a good reason, Michael, give you that one. (laughs) Which, once again, perhaps going back to the... uh the Gerard Butler character in this film, you know, you got to have a certain mercenary, a certain mercenary aspect to you to be an actor and to take some of these films. Like we can't all just be looking for prestige all the time, you know? No, exactly. Exactly. You you have to take the roles to pay the bills at the end of the day. I think, I think a lot of, <laughs> this might lead us onto a different rant, but I think a lot of people forget that acting is a job. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, you, you, have to be in a very privileged position to only think of acting as an art, which I realize is a very ancient argument that I have no interest in revitalizing because I think I've made my position on the death of cinema very clear in previous episodes. But there's so many people that don't understand how casting works, how filmmaking works, and other people may may even say such horrible things as actors should just get the jobs that they want. And not understand that that's not up to the actor. <laughs> well, I feel like we just live in this really ugly time where everyone assumes that there's some sort of like a, a you know, a, a 
uh, couch uh, film producer, you know, like everybody just assumes like, like I, it's so tedious when people on Twitter like go over uh, uh, budgets as though any of this means anything, you know, when people talk about like, well, this movie, uh, you know, only had such and such a budget or whatever. It's just so it, it, it's like it's like none of us know what the fuck is going on in the boardrooms or on the sets of any of these movies. None of us fucking know where any of this money's going or or uh, is it any of our business? You know, <laughs> like who cares? Yeah. But people who I mean, I remember when I was little, I would you know, I'd go to the library and I'd read Variety because I was very very fascinated to hear about like uh, you know what what movies made and box office stuff. Like I was curious about that as as a kid, you know. But but with the fact that like um. You know, things like Netflix is never transparent with their numbers. Like, we don't know what really the numbers are on these on these Netflix movies at any time or anything, you know? Like, we just we just take these words for it. it it's, none of it matters. <laughs> no, and I think uh, one of the films in recent years that really kind of, I, I used as an example to try and get people to understand how this stuff works is Bloodshot. <laughs> Valiant. I feel really bad for Valiant Comics. Like they have tried. Like, like I mean, I am a fan of Ninjak. I love Ninjak, you know. And like they tried to have like that little Ninjak like YouTube show. Like, like oh, has- we're coming back to that in a second. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Are we coming back to Ninjak? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> oh yeah, no. So, yeah. so f- fun fact. I was tur- so obviously people listening can't hear me. I was turning around because over there somewhere, um, I can't see it. Is a a Bloodshot variant comic that's signed by Jason David Frank, who played Bloodshot in that Ninjak series that you just mentioned. <laughs> I I loved that uh, that Ninjak series because for a small company that just kind of started to really get going and get somewhere that was completely independent, that had a big library of characters to pull from, no, it wasn't going to win any awards in any category, but oh. for a, a little YouTube show that was, let's be honest, matching what is on the CW, <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it for what it was. Yes, it could have been better in some areas, but again, it was made for, like, no money on YouTube. The giant $45 million budget production of the actual Bloodshot film hath not got that excuse, and it's <laughs> still a pile of shite. <laughs> and 25 million of that budget went to Vin Diesel to get him in the film and it's like you didn't need to do that <laughs> also I always feel bad for Valiant because they really tried to push that character Faith the girl's like the oversized uh, mm. uh, you know, the, the plus size psychic girl and of course yeah, everybody's yeah, yeah. problem with her is like how can a fat girl fly you know it's like well she has psychic powers she can fucking levitate do we really need to care about this <laughs> Also, but is that not the really point fun. that they made yeah. a character that goes against the obvious, you know? <laughs> and it's a cute book, you know? Like, it's a cute character, you know? Like, you can't shit on her, you know? <laughs> but I'm always like, yeah, they, I, you know, if only people actually read comics instead of just watching these fucking movies. It's like, she would be a popular character. I feel like, you know, you could, you could, she could appeal to young girls. I think it's a cute character. I don't know. Well, unfortunately, uh, yes, we're going completely off topic here, but I think Valiant, like you say, I feel sorry for them because they were, it was a company that was run by two people that bought it back from the grave 
managed to make it financially successful and then essentially got bought out stroke hostile takeovered by a bigger company. And they just basically told everything that they had going on in production at that point, nah, we'll do our own thing. And I feel really bad for that, for the, for Bat in the Sun that made that Ninjak series, because I know that that was supposed to be the start, not just a one-off of like multiple things and perhaps bigger budget things. Right, because when they can do an Archer and Armstrong, didn't they have people cast for like an Archer and Armstrong? Yes. Yeah. 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 So if I remember, if I remember correctly, the whole point of the show was to basically be like a springboard for other projects. I know for a fact that the, ah, and you, I used to know all of these people's names, but the, the, the woman that played Livewire was in talks to do something more with Livewire. I know that Jason Frank was going to do a bloodshot film. And for a while he was approached to, to be involved with in some capacity the film that got made but the fun thing about making a project like that is that it generates buzz and suddenly their comic books were selling better to the point that they made a tie-in comic book and suddenly people were talking about their characters because you had all these actors and this fairly big youtube channel uh mm -hmm. promoting these characters and suddenly sony went hey don't we own the rights to the film versions of these characters weren't we trying to make a film of this stuff for like 20 plus years but have never bothered we should send a cease and desist letter <laughs> is that what ah that's because there is a a new york comic-con panel for when the show was supposed to launch and if you watch it neither livewire nor bloodshot who are both at that convention are on that panel they're supposed to be but basically sony came along and bitched that their contract was essentially, no, we own the license to these characters, so you can't use them, so your show can't air. Valiant obviously argued that, no, they own the characters, they're their characters. Yeah. That eventually got resolved, but that's why the show basically only went out on comicbook.com, which is like the single worst place it could have gone. It should have just gone on YouTube mm -hmm. from day one. Mm -hmm. And now, because I looked for it recently, officially... It's gone again. It doesn't exist. It's not oh. on any of the channels that had it officially. It is still on YouTube because pe people have obviously re-uploaded it. Yeah. But yeah, all, all of the official, in inverted commas, YouTube channels that had it, it's gone again. And I'll what bet money it's because of licensing. Waste. What an absolute waste of a property. Because once again, mm. Ninjak is one of those things like Shang-Chi, where like you could have a really cool spy story. You could have this really cool international spy story. That's the whole point. And now like they've moved Ninjak beyond where like it's they've made him like Ninja K, Ninja M, Ninja, you know, like they're double O. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of things. And and I enjoy that. And, and you know, you just give me a cool ninja spy with gadgets, you know, who doesn't like that, right? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I agree. I I think I think Ninjak or Ninja K or whatever they call him <laughs> would would be really cool. I mean He's a British superhero for starters, even though, yeah. you know, he, so it, it, it instantly, yes, you probably get people that would make the James Bond comparison, but he's a ninja. It, it's very <laughs> different character, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm all in for Ninja James Bond. I'm all in for for. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, I think I think the really depressing sentence is I can't believe that we still haven't gotten a decent Valiant Comics film of any of their characters because I mean. Once upon a time, Exo Mano War was the most popular what? character of any, you know, he just completely dominated 
the mm-hmm. comic books. Um, but we have a film version of Accident Man, which I'll wager 99% of people had never heard of until that film came out. That was um, a Valiant? That was a Valiant book? Accident Man? No, no, no. It wasn't a Valiant book. But that's oh, what I'm saying. No, no, no. That was not 2000 AD. Was that 2000 AD? Uh, it wasn't 2000 AD, but it was the same person that created 2000 AD. Right, yes. I'm, pre- okay. I'm pretty confident it was uh, Toxic uh, that published uh, the original Accident Man, which is, you know, a tiny label that lived and died very quickly. But I think it was a spinoff from 2000 AD when that creator left, whose name is escaping my brain. I know, and it's escaping my brain too, and I and I know this too. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but I'm very I'm very happy for Action Man too. I'm really excited for that. Yes, yeah. and I'm sure when it comes out, it will be covered on this show. Yes, mm-hmm. but I think we've pretty much uh, finished talking about Cop Shop, given that we just spent five ten minutes talking about comic books. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay because when Mike came on, we spent like forty minutes talking about Daredevil before we even got to talking about Spider Man. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, I mean, you know, I think uh, we've dissected Cop Shop as much as as much as it merits. <laughs> yes. If you're putting more thoughts into Cop Shop than we are, then <laughs> I don't think Joe Carnahan put put more thought into it than we did. No, no. Uh, although I, I am very curious to know what the proper edit of that film would look like. It's really <laughs> depressing me how many films that. I've covered, or in general, I've watched, but surprisingly, a lot of the ones that I'm I'm covering have a dispute about what should or shouldn't have been in the film. So I don't know if you've listened to it, but the Invasion USA mm-hmm. episode, after we recorded that, we then were like, oh, wow, they like completely butchered it in the editing room. Like all of my complaints were basically, oh, no, yeah, we filmed that, but we it, it was edited out. And it's like, are you kidding me? Can we have that, please? Is that, does that exist somewhere? Cause I really want to see all of this stuff that allegedly was filmed, you know? My favorite lost cut of a movie that I would like to see is apparently Kim Basinger owns like a nine hour version of nine and a half weeks that apparently had like way oh, more to it. <laughs> okay. I would totally watch like eight to 10 hours of Mickey Rourke and, and Kim Basinger being sexy all over, you know? So I think <laughs> release the Basinger edit, you know, it's up to her. <laughs> oh, maybe it will happen one day. I don't need plot. I mean, I just want them in gauzy lighting looking beautiful. I'm all right with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that uh, for some people, that's definitely... Well, let's put it this way. The amount of money that Fifty Shades and the Twilight films made, I know that most audiences don't need plot. Yeah. <laughs> if you like those films, that was a joke. Don't kill me on Twitter. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for joining me on this one, Wendy. I hope you enjoyed your time here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, she didn't answer if she enjoyed it. That's always a good sign, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy it. Good. I'm glad. But yeah, no, I mean, feel free to come back anytime, as I've said to all my previous guests. I'm sure that you will be hearing Wendy again at some point. But until then, that's going to be it from us for today. Uh, we might actually have made this episode in a relatively short running time. So if I did, feel free to congratulate me. I'm going to hand you back over to myself now for the outro to tell you what you're going to be listening to next week. But that's going to be it for me and Wendy. We'll see you next time. See ya. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. That's that. As I said in the intro, we kind of did go off topic and talk about Valiant Comics and Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe. I'm actually 
very tempted and I had already thought about it beforehand to do uh, its own episode. So now I'm thinking that if we do, maybe we should get Wendy back for that episode. But uh, really didn't realize how much we'd spoken about it until I edited it. But I hope you guys enjoyed it either way, because as I said, I I did enjoy Cop Shop, right? Let's get that out of the way. When I listen back to this, it really does sound like I didn't enjoy my time with Cop Shop. And I just want to reiterate that I did. It's just that I was going in expecting an action film. And realistically, that's not what this is. Realistically, this is a character piece. This is a... I don't even want to call it a thriller because I suppose that's kind of a cop out as opposed to a cop shop. But it it, it kind of is more of a thriller in, in my opinion. Like you've still got a lot of big action elements. There is a lot to like in this film. My problem is, is that every time it gets going, it stops and pulls back and wants to have big dialogue sequences, which is fine. It just isn't what I was expecting. You have uh, Frank Grillo and Gerard Butler Two people that I heavily associate with action films. And as I said, neither one of these two was my favorite character in the film. My favorite character was uh, Anthony Lamb. And he, to me, stole the show. And unfortunately, because of that, the fact that he was kind of underutilized really annoyed me. He was played by Toby Huss. And I got to give a shout out to him because, like I said, for me, he stole the show. So I would say give this a watch, even if... Maybe it's not all that I hoped it would be because I think there are still performances in this. And if you happen to have the streaming service that this is on, like I said, for me, it was Amazon. It doesn't really cost you anything to give it a go. And I don't think it's a bad film. I just think that it wasn't what I was expecting. And at the end of the day, expectation is the worst weight you can put on a film. A film can't match what you make in your head. Sometimes they do, but most of the time you're just setting yourself up to fail. So I think if you know going in that that it's not necessarily a big, huge spectacle that you're going to really enjoy it. So, like I said, maybe go and make up your own mind. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this one. And I'm ill, so I'm not making much sense. Have mercy. Next week, we have a very, very special episode because it is going to be the first Sylvester Stallone and Antonio Banderas film that we are going to be discussing. And if you know your films, then you probably already know which one it is. Yes, we're going to be talking about Assassins. And I'm going to be joined for that by the host of several podcasts known as Marcy, a.k.a. Super Marcy of the Super Network. And she has quite a few podcasts under her belt And I'd be very surprised if you're not familiar with her work. But if you're not, then you're in for a treat because she is a great guest. And I think you're going to really enjoy next week's episode. I briefly mentioned that I was watching Assassins on my personal Twitter. And the huge interactions that that tweet got suggests that a lot of people are excited to hear more in-depth thoughts about Assassins. So I think you guys are in for a treat with this one. It really, really surprised me how well Assassins holds up. In fact, I dare say I enjoy it more now than I did when I first watched it. Either way, keep your eyes peeled. You know where it will be. That's it for this week. You know when it's coming out. I'll see you next time for the next episode. Thank you for joining me and getting into the action. Take care of yourselves, and I will see you all soon. On the action and-